Six minutes past 12. This is indeed Midday Live on SAFM, South Africa's news and information leader. Thank you very much. Utsile Sako, we'll see you in the next uh, 24 and a half minutes for your uh, Midday Live news headlines. And, uh, of course, uh, President Jacob Zuma has 10 days to approve the names of five nominees endorsed by the National Assembly to serve on an interim SABC board. It may serve for up to six months before a permanent board is appointed. The newspaper headline today uh, reads, Board exposed SABC to systematic risk says the Minister of Communication, Dina Pule. She'll be joining us in the next couple of minutes to talk about that. And, of course, as an interim board is waiting on the wings to be installed, of course, after the President's approval. I see also the opposition parties have slammed the dissolution of the board. The DA questioned the process, and the IFP said the time was too short to study the nominees. COPE is uncomfortable with what they call the haste to dissolve the board. If you have any specific question you want, us to ask the minister 34701 is uh, your sms line 34701 otherwise you can tweet us we are at guala b news that's our twitter handle guala b news now we move to our top story at this hour the farm commission of inquiries holding an on-site inspection at the k3 shaft at lonmin platinum's mine in Morikana today the inspection will be held where northwest deputy police commissioner general william mbembe addressed the striking miners on the 13th of August and where two police officers and three miners sustained fatal injuries. National Police Commissioner Ria Piecha, who testified yesterday, won't be able to continue her testimony today since she must be in Parliament. The Commission's Chairman, a retired Judge Ian Fallam, decided that her cross-examination will resume on Monday. Let's say good afternoon to our uh, journalist Lizette Labuchachni. Good afternoon to you. Good afternoon. Tell us about this uh, on-site inspection. What is it for? Why was it necessary for the Commission to uh, go out and do this inspection? Let's go to the site previously on the first industrial inspection that was done last year, but we understand that the stop over here at the railway line was very short, and we did not really see the entire scene or reconstruct what exactly had happened. And therefore there was a callback, obviously, for us to come here and see where the mine workers had been, where they met police, and then where they ran off to and eventually where the police officials and mine workers were shot. We started at around um, 10.30 this morning, and we've just finished with the inspection here. All right, so what, 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 what was the outcome of that inspection? Well, we first started here, obviously, a huge media contingent and all the legal representatives of all the parties that uh, is present at the commission. We started at the railway line that runs from the career shaft, where we know that workers started marching from career shaft going to Wonerkop. And we know this was the first march where workers carried their dangerous weapons after there was a shootout on the 9th of August between new members and um, UMCO members, allegedly. And after that, the workers started to use the um, sharp sticks and these knives and we know that General Payment made them halfway on the railway line and told them that they cannot march to Wonerkop if they have these dangerous weapons with them, as it is against the Constitution, um, and that it could be dangerous for whoever comes in the way of these mine workers. And we've seen in video footage that was shown to the Commission on various occasions how Payment started counting, telling them they must either disarm voluntarily or the police will do it for them. And um, he had just started counting when, when these striking mine workers used a a hole between two trees and um, advanced on police members. And that is where two police officials were killed. 
And we also looked at the spot where another lieutenant from the public order police unit were injured, quite severely injured and taken to hospital. And we know then in the ensuing chaos, three other mine workers were also shot and we were taken to the specific places where they were shot. We looked at that area and also in proximity to, to the houses close by. And um, we also did see a member uh, of the family of one of the police officials who were here. She had some flowers with them that she took to the scene where her brother had died. Mm. And um, she cried quite um, a lot. She was very upset about what happened. She herself um, is also a police official, and she's come here just to understand exactly what happened and how her brother had been killed. I'm just uh, wondering, uh, who is this uh, inspection going to help? Is it uh, going to help, or was it uh, uh, asked for by, by the police, by the legal representative for the families, by the mines representative for the unions? Uh, just just help mm-hmm. us understand that. Well, I, I think one of the, the concerns that we do have, especially in the commission, is that we are looking at aerial photographs a lot, footage that um, is, is shown to the commission, and they don't always understand exactly how it fits into the bigger scheme here, at um, London Mine. So we would see Volarkop a lot, we would see the Nkamein settlement, we would see the path that the mine is used, but it's all in abstract. Um, and obviously, we, we being here, you understand it better. We had hoped to go to Volarkop as well, but I understand that there were some issues uh, regarding going to Volarkop and seeing the Nkamein township, and that is why we only came here to the site here. Okay. Um, not a lot has been said about this incident specifically thus far. Uh, we've only seen the one video um, clip that's been shown. But obviously now, if you look at it, you understand better in context what has happened, where was it taken, and then what is the path that was followed. And all of those things have been asked, specifically the mine workers. And we know that four mine workers still have to testify, okay. and um, some of them were here on the 13th. So that is why we are now yeah, I'm um, looking at this site and then the mine workers will come and testify exactly what had happened here. Thank you very much, Lizette. Labuskakni is our SABC reporter there with the Falam Commission of Inquiry as it is holding an on-site inspection at the K3 shaft at Lon Min Platinum Mine there. It's at 12 and a half minutes parts uh, 12. Uh, shortly we'll be talking to the Minister of uh, Communication, that's uh, Dinapule. But uh, first, uh, let's uh, go to our top story this hour. Consumer inflation has uh, surprised uh, on the upside in February coming in above market expectation. Looking at the markets at this hour, gold is trading at $1,610.80 an ounce. Platinum is trading at $1,564.50 an ounce. The rand is trading at 9 rand 30 to the US dollar, 13 90 to the pound and 11.90 to the euro. If you are the one with hope for tomorrow, with an appetite for change, with passion for your country, join us in our drive to transform our society and nation, the new age, for a new perspective, for a positive outlook, for a united South Africa. The new age, one country, one paper. Get your copy for only three rand fifty. Anderson, come in. You know why you're here? To get a promotion for all that cost-cutting I've been doing. Wipe that smug look off your face. Huh? Theft, racketeering, fraud. What? These won't look good on our company profile or your CV. Sir. You've put my life's work and 500 jobs on the line. You make me sick. Cuff him. The bottom line is electricity theft is bad for business. Report electricity theft anonymously by sending an SMS to 32211. SMSs cost one rand. Operation Kanisa. The power is in your hands.
hands. The African Passion set to tour South Africa for Easter 2013. Catalina Unlimited, in partnership with SAFM, proudly presents the world premiere of the African Passion, a new gospel opera written and directed by Temi Venturas, with music composed by Pelelani Mnomia, Anthony Gavinda, and the young Mbazo. The African Passion, inspiring audiences across the country this Easter. For dates, go to www. CatalinaTheatre.co.za. Bookings also at CompuTicket throughout South Africa. The African Passion, a new gospel opera. Fifteen minutes past twelve. This is Midday Live on SAFM, South Africa's news and information leader. We we'll welcome your SMS is three four seven zero one. Your tweets also at Gualabi News. Now, the National Assembly yesterday endorsed the names of five people to serve on the SABC interim board. This after a resolution taken by the House to dissolve the board. The names are Chairperson Designate Zandile Shabalala and her Deputy Nurutando Kosa, Economist uh, Iraj Abidian, and a former member, of, uh, rather a former member of uh, the Public Service Commission, Vusumzi Mavuso. Um, and uh, chartered accountant there, uh, Ronnie Lubisi. But uh, you may have heard yesterday, Cedric Gina says uh, his stay at the helm of the SABC was uh, beneficial to the public broadcaster. Gina says there was no collusion between himself and uh, the other five uh, former board members uh, to resign simultaneously. He's expressed strong views, though, on the effect that Communications Minister Dina Pule has had on the board's work. I just don't like some of the things that she's been saying in public about the board. She's not been helpful to the country. She's not been uh, appreciative to the work that uh, some of us have, have done uh, in that board. And, and I just think that she was very unfair to us. Of course, uh, one of the six uh, SABC board members whose resignations uh, were accepted by President uh, Jacob Zuma. Now, let's say good afternoon to the Communications Minister, Dina Pule. How are you, Minister? Hey, I'm good. How are you? And uh, good afternoon to your listeners. I'm, I'm fine. Thank you very much, Minister. You, you heard what uh, uh, Cedric Gina there said about yourselves. He says he, he, he didn't like some of the things that, uh, that uh, you, you say. What, what do you make of that? Look, um, it's very difficult for me, Wongi, to respond to that statement because I, I don't know what he says I said. Uh, he just um, alleged that I said certain things that uh, he didn't like. And, of course, uh, if I had the preview to what, what what are those things, I would be able to respond. All I must say to you is that, um, as I sit here, I have actually said um, it was unfortunate, the fact that we had these um, resignations at the APPC. And I did yesterday when I spoke at um, a portfolio committee thank all the board members mm. who have actually served at the board level although they have now resigned, and um, and I think that uh, uh, that's what I have said, and what he alleges, I don't know. Okay. Um, yeah. But, 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 Minister, how did we get here? Can you put your finger on just one issue that got the SABC board to where it is today, to a point where it's dissolved, a new or interim board is, is waiting on the wings to be put, uh, to be installed? Do, do you have one thing that you say, here is the problem? Look, Wengi, I, um, I, I will tell you this, that um, the challenge with the, with the SAPC um, has not started yesterday or, you know, last year. You would know that, uh, you know, since 2008, 
and 2009 we had an interim board and um, 2010 another board was appointed this very same board um, that um, uh, many members have resigned uh, this last weekend and that uh, yesterday they were replaced by another another board now it is very difficult it's something that we have to go back as, um, as a department and a parliament to go and look thoroughly as to what could be the challenge of the SAPC? What makes the leadership of the of the SAPC at a board level not to stay longer? And why do we have these resignations at one point or another? And of course, as I said, it's, it will be very, very difficult for me to point at, at one issue, except that when I read um, the resignations, uh, for example, the one, the joint uh, resignation letter of the chief and the deputy chair, what I picked up was that uh, we spoke about the fact that they have arrived at a point which is untenable and that uh, they felt that there was no unity in the board. So I can only take from that which they have written because unfortunately when they, uh, when they resigned, they never came to me to say, look, Minister, we want to resign on the basis of this. Although we had meetings um, all the time, and of course with this board, the last meeting we had was on the 5th of March. Mm. Uh, 2018, so, and they didn't even show me any inkling or any um, any sign that they were going to be uh, resigning. But, but surely problems were there, as you rightfully point out, from around yes. uh, 2008. You are talking of uh, the SABC board that is uh, exposing the SABC to systematic risk. Just talk us through that. Look, I have always been feeling very um, uncomfortable about the fact that uh, all board uh, meetings of the of the SEPC were almost run through the media. You know, mm. if you wake up um, the following day, you find um, board members are arguing about this and that uh, in the in the media. Things that I thought were supposed to have been discussed at a board um, at a board level, and I thought that in itself was exposing us and exposing the SEPC. Uh, to the competition, you know, you give away information that is supposed to be uh, fitting within SAPC. When you start arguing about it, for me, you are saying, oh, okay, competition, no, this is what our strategic point of view is. And, and competition takes over. And in that way, we then lose the audience. Then in that way, when we lose audiences, my take is that we then lose revenue because nobody would want to be associated with an institution or a corporation that doesn't seem to be stable. So that was my worry and continues to be my worry. But from where you're sitting right now, uh, do you get a sense uh, maybe that suggests to you that uh, maybe, just maybe you should have uh, intervened much, much earlier to prevent what has just happened? You see, I think I have intervened, uh, I did intervene in the manner in which we, we interact with the board because I have to interact with the board uh, with, with respect, knowing that the board is the one that is supposed to be oversighting on the SAPC executive and the staff there. I oversight on the board. And, and the question that you are asking is, um, I would, uh, you know, as I sit here, I, I think that if I had gone to intervene more than what I, I, I have done, people would have come out to say I'm interfering. And, and that is a difficulty with, um, with the, the situation that I find myself in. When you go deeper and you want to understand what is actually happening and you want to, to assist, 
um, people who are sitting outside and people who are internally who are board members or so, they will say you are interfering. But at the end, when these things then happen, uh, people feel that you may not have um, uh, intervened um, well. However, I must also say to me that, you know, the legislation that um, governs the SAPC also is not helpful mm. because it doesn't give the minister any whip or any speech um, uh, to be able to to help the SAPC because the role I have in terms of the legislation is oversight. And the SAPC is appointed at a parliamentary level. And you find yourself as a ministry only in the middle, the appointing uh, agent is then the presidency. And as you come in, you come in as a person who has to oversight on the SAPC. How these um, members were appointed and selected, you were not part of it. And, and the, uh, the appointing level, you were not part of it. You only have to come in and oversight. Okay. Now, that creates a problem, Bongi, because then the board members feel that they are appointed by, by parliament and therefore they are responsible to go back and report to parliament. When you come in, you almost come in as a as a as an outsider, and All that's right. what is very difficult. Minister, and I think at some point we must come back and explain this whole thing. That okay. is why in the department now, as you speak, we are reviewing policies. I've got to put this question, Minister. Uh, some are even suggesting this, uh, that uh, really at the heart of uh, this uh, alleged bad blood between yourself and the, the former board really was the issue of uh, the suspended CFO and the issue of the current uh, acting COO. What do you say about that? Uh, thank you very much that you asked this question, Boone. Because, look, I don't think that we had bad blood with the, with the board. I must clarify that. Um, and the issue, the two issues that you're raising, um, for those who watched um, at the, in Parliament yesterday, I did make a presentation, and I clarified these issues. It's not about the suspended CFO. It, it was about and still is about the acting CFO. Okay. And, and, and at the heart of it, it's because when you appoint, there are rules of how we appoint. In terms of the SAPC charter, when you appoint, the SAPC recommends to the minister, and the minister concurs or do not concur. In other words, the SAPC doesn't appoint. As we speak now, the, the SAPC board had appointed um, the, the, the acting CFO without the minister knowing. And that is an audit query. We're dealing with, this person is dealing with the finances of the SAPC. At the end of the, of the financial year, um, it's going to be, to be an, an audit query. The Auditor General is not going to be accepting the fact that somebody who has not been appointed properly has been administering finances of the SAPC. Okay. So it, there, there is no bad blood. It's a question of me as a minister or shareholder having said to them, please follow the right corporate governance principles in terms of appointing and in terms of removing people from office. We got you. Thank you very much, uh, uh, Communications Minister Dina Pule. We don't get to talk to her quite often, so that's why we really had to get so many issues out of the way. But we thank you very much for that. And uh, also thanks to Dr. Aaron Mutsualedi, who's been holding for a long time. Uh, Minister, really apologies. But uh, we understand that uh, you are briefing the media on the new resources to fight TB in Southern Africa. The current Millennium Development Goals will expire in uh, 2015, leaving roughly 1,000 
days to achieve the international targets of cutting deaths uh, from tuberculosis and HIV by half. Minister, just uh, talk us uh, through this uh, new plan that, uh, that you are unveiling for, for, for SADC in particular. What is it all about and how are you going to go about ensuring that we cut at least deaths from tuberculosis and HIV by half by at least 2015? Thank you, thank you, uh, Bongi. Uh, I'm sure you are aware that uh, on the 24th is World TB Day, and two years ago on World TB Day also, we announced far-reaching measures on on fighting uh, what you're going to do to fight TB and HIV. But today's session, today's press conference in Sunday was held by various partners. The Stop TB Partnership of the World Organization the United UNAIDS, the structure you call UNAIDS, which is responsible for the fight against HIV and AIDS in, in the whole world, uh, the World Bank, the DFID from UK, uh, the Global Fund, and, and various other partners. We came together because we want to pay a special focus to SADC mm. in terms of TB and HIV AIDS, especially in the mines, because you are aware that while the pandemic is still raging in the world, the pandemic of both HIV, AIDS, and TB, Sub-Saharan Africa is the arena where it is still very deeply rooted, even though there are lots of strides that have been made. And as far as TB is concerned, out of 22 countries that are responsible for 80% of the TB of the world, six are within SADC. And in SADC, we are more worried about the mining sector because... The people who are working in the mines are seven times, the, the prevalence rate there is seven times more than in the normal population. And they come from all over Sadek. They come from Mozambique, they come from uh, Zimbabwe, from Lesotho, from Botswana, from Swaziland. And we believe we'll never be able to defeat this pandemic if we work as silos in different countries. So today's session was to announce that we want to bring these countries together. Okay. We want to have a summit somewhere before the end of the year, that brings together ministers of health in SADC, ministers of mining, ministers of labor, uh, together with the mining houses to come and have common treatment protocols. So, so you, didn't, you didn't announce any strategy yet. So what you're doing right now is to do the groundwork, really, so that that strategy may Yes, be... we are doing the groundwork. Tomorrow will be in Swaziland because it's mostly the, myself and the Minister of Health in Swaziland, among ministers who have been asked to coordinate, will be there, you know, there will be a panel discussion. But uh, the World Bank and the Stop TB Partnership will help us to organize a summit somewhere before the end of the year mm. where we'll, we'll actually uh, unveil the whole plan. But today, the Global Fund has announced a sum of 741 million American dollars which are going to be contributed to the South and East, Southern and Eastern African countries mm. to fight TB and HIV AIDS. And a further 102 million American dollars for five countries within the SADC region. The, we, we are about a year and a half really away from uh, the, the target of the M- MDGs. And, and how are we doing in the area of uh, HIV and AIDS and tuberculosis in relation to, to, to those targets, Minister? Well, as you know, Bongi, you are aware that last year, many research agencies started preaching in South Africa that we've turned the corner. That life expectancy has actually dramatically taken a turn for the better uh, uh, in South Africa. 
but we are aware that in sub-Saharan Africa, the issue of reaching millennium development goals is a big challenge because of the problems that we are experiencing, problems of resources, socio-economic conditions, etc. But we're not giving up. We're saying let's give it the last push for this last thousand days that are left. Mm. And, and in South Africa, remember, we, we could produce a miracle within three years. So why not in this thousand days? Remember when President Jacob Zuma announced on the 1st of September 2009, far-reaching methods about HIV and AIDS. Many people were believing it's too late, but within three years, there was a dramatic improvement, and deaths from HIV AIDS has dramatically come down, life expectancy has gone high, maternal mortality is going down, child mortality is coming down, we've been able to reduce mother-to-child transmission from 8% in 2008 to 2.7% in 2011. And we are looking forward to, to making it below 1% or eradicate it altogether by 2015 within these thousand days that are left. We believe it's doable. Okay. Minister, good luck uh, in your, with your meeting in Swaziland. Tomorrow, Dr. Aaron Matsoledi is the Minister of Health here in South Africa, talking about a thousand days to uh, the Millennium Development Goals targets and made the many other interventions in the area of tuberculosis and HIV, particularly in the mines there. Just after half past, let's say good afternoon once again to Utsi Lesaku with the news headlines. It's water week as we know it, and uh, you, you had a very interesting interview about... Uh, I thought it was an advert, but didn't realize that it was for real, that uh, in the near future, wars will be fought over natural resources. Water is one of them, uh, that, that uh, uh, book writer that you were talking to. And was it not really frightening that she was saying that in some countries, water is actually being mined from the ground, bottled and sold back to the people? Yes. Absolutely shocking, yeah. Poverty at its best. But yes. uh, good radio. Thank you very much, Lovely. Nancy. Thanks, we'll be listening between yes. 1 and 2 this afternoon right here on SFM 104 to 107. Let's go back to the SABC story, but now uh, look at uh, another angle as we talk to Madangamba Motapo, their uh, spokesperson for the Communication Workers Union. Uh, the union is addressing the media about the retrenchments at Telcom, dismissal of workers at the post office, and of course the latest developments at the South African. Broadcasting Corporation. Uh, Mr. Matapo, good afternoon to you. Afternoon, afternoon. Good afternoon to listeners. What, first, what do you make of uh, what is happening here at the SABC, as the union? Well, <coughs> thank you very much. As the union, we've taken a stand that uh, we welcome the development of the, of the board and also... Uh, welcome the appointment of the interim board uh, at SABC because we're of the view that uh, the previous board uh, really wanted to collapse the public broadcaster mm. uh, because some of the things that we've raised that there is a level of interference within the board to operations at SABC and they want to shift that particular interference to the minister which is what we don't agree with as the union. That, uh, that interference, who, who was interfering in that, uh, in that board? Was it the chairman? Was it, was it the deputy? Just members of the board? Were, were they calling in? No, 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 no. No. Mm. There is a certain board member that has been interfering with the operations of the SFDC. And that those that some of the board members that reside, they were even seeking interviews to appoint some of the managers in certain departments, okay. which we've detected it, and then we 
we also raised it with uh, some of the board members and some of the operation uh, managers at SSBC. So it was a blessing in disguise for these people to, to leave and resign in a mass and also uh, been dissolved at the end by the parliament. So we agree with that. We support that, that these people do not having the interest of the SSBC at their heart and also, most importantly, of our workers at SSBC. Because when there is stability uh, at SSBC, the morale of our workers, that is one of one of the important interests of the treatment movement, okay. is to see our workers being very happy. Now, let's move on to Telcom and uh, the post office. What is happening there, particularly at the post office? Uh, post is not being, being delivered. Are, are they on strike? What is going on? Definitely we're disappointed with the, with the post office uh, intention to dismiss workers at, uh, at the post office because if you remember in 2012, the post office has terminated our collective agreement with the union and that unilaterally stopped the uh, substantive negotiations and change policies without consulting a labor representative there. So, and also taking unilateral uh, decisions without consulting us as the union. Uh, and of course we can agree with the situation where we find our, we find our, 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 our work has been dismissed at SAD, I mean at the, at the post office. Mm. Yeah. Okay, all right. Uh, th- thank you very much uh, for, for that clarity, really. That's the spokesperson of uh, Communication Workers Union, Madangana Motapo, there, talking about uh, a lot of issues, really. The telecom, uh, post office, and of course the SABC here saying that uh, good riddance, uh, talking about the board, saying it was disruptive, interfering with uh, the executive running of uh, the SABC. It's at 23 minutes to one. This is the Midday Live. Let's go to Cape Town now where police have launched a massive manhunt for more suspects following the fatal shooting of five foreign nationals at a house in Rocklands. Mitchell Splain on the Cape Flats. Police spokesperson Tembingo Sikinana says one person is in a critical condition in hospital. He says the motive for the killings is being investigated. Tande Swamau reports. Pakistani nationals gathered around the house in Rocklands while police kept a watchful eye on the cotton of crime scene. The deceased ran a bread delivery business in the area. It's believed unknown gunmen entered the house, demanded keys to the safe and opened fire. Four people died on the scene in a hail of bullets. A fifth died in hospital and another person is critical. The owner of the house, Rukshana Hussein, says three men stormed her home while they were watching television. Didn't ask questions, didn't say anything, nothing. Just came in, asked for the safe, gave the safe to do the shooting, finish. Just told us to lie still and that's all. Or to be three ladies and just asked Barco what is his name and when he gave the name, he gave him two shots. Turned around and gave him another one. He had his face cover and he had a black cap on. A friend of the victims, Yasir Nauman, says they were just businessmen who never bothered anyone. Yeah, we know each other from a long time. I'm shocked to know that they shot those people, like those guys. They were nice guys. We played cricket together and they were the nice guys, quite just concerned with the work and the stuff. Like running a business like they were a bread distributor. They are distributing the bread in Mitchell's Plain. Rana Ahmed says he was one of the first people to be called to the scene after the shooting. We were standing a whole night 
Until now, we never sleep one second. We was here all night until half past six. They only took the bodies away half past six this morning. And they didn't even cover the bodies. The one body was just laying here all night, just like that on the floor. And this was people having no problem, even neighbors, anybody. You can ask anyone. We, they had no problem with us. We're living here almost 15 years. Police say one man has already been arrested and will appear in court soon, spokesperson Tembingosikinana. According to the information, two unidentified men got into this house. They demanded a safe. They shot and killed about four of the six. Two were taken to hospital, but one of them later died in hospital. The police managed to arrest one of the suspects. One firearm was recovered, and the safe that was taken from the same house was recovered. That was police spokesperson Temikosi Kinana in that report by Tandi Swamau. I'll be reading your SMSs shortly. Khabo, uh, I see you have uh, some ambitions of becoming a board member here at the SABC. I'll read your SMS, Mulao as well. And of course, uh, Desmond, I have your SMS. Uh, and I have uh, many tweets as well that I'll be reading. Lindelan Mkize at Lindelan Mkize. I'll be reading yours just shortly. Mine workers and, uh, at, uh, the, and the Mpumalanga police are still disagreeing about the number of people shot and arrested at the hospital. Ban coal mine near Middleburg in Pumalanga. A mine worker who spoke on condition of anonymity says seven people were shot and injured when police fired live ammunition at striking mine workers while the police maintained that only one was wounded. Vusitwala, our reporter, just talk us through what happened there today. Uh, today, a group of mine workers is uh, picketing uh, on a road leading to uh, the Shandu Kafaspan uh, coal mine. Uh, we've managed to speak to a, a, a few of them who indicated that, uh, uh, who alleged that uh, nine of them were actually attacked uh, by police officers. And, uh, uh, but uh, when we spoke to, to, to the, the, the police officer, uh, in fact, the police spokesperson, he indicated that, in fact, only uh, seven people uh, were, were, were uh, arrested and uh, Two of them were injured, and we now managed to visit the, 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 the local uh, hospital, which they indicated that they were admitted to. We, we only uh, discovered that there's only one who is still uh, uh, hospitalized. One was at this charity earlier this morning. Mm. However, uh, the, 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 the minor cars are still uh, picketing on one of the roads where there is a, the, the road remained barricaded with the bent vehicle and the bending tires and stones, and they are indicating that they are not willing to... to to, to, to back off until their demands uh, are met by uh, mine management. But uh, were live ammunitions uh, used this morning? Is, the, is that the sense that you're getting? Well, the police have denied uh, any use of live ammunition. They've indicated that they dispersed the crowd using rubber bullets, and uh, when they were dispersing, it was the time when they were trying to attack uh, 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 the security and also police officers using some of the uh, head-moving vehicles in the mine. That's when they decided to use uh, 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 rubber police to, to disperse them. Uh, after they were notified that the strike is illegal and, and been given uh, 15 minutes that time to disperse and failed to meet uh, that deadline. Vusitwala, thank you very much, our reporter in Pumalanga. And uh, Rudzani Chibase, Good afternoon to you. We understand a police negotiator will join the team that is negotiating with mine workers at uh, the Parabolo Mining Company in Limpopo. There, the mine workers have been on a sit-in underground since last Wednesday. Bring us up to speed with the situation. 
In fact, when the police have just arrived here at the mine, we have just seen about four police vehicles entering through, going through the mine premises. The negotiator, we are told, has not yet arrived. Police are still going to meet with the management to decide on the strategy they are going to use in trying to meet with those guys underground. The miners are still underground. Today is their seventh day now since they entered the, 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 the underground last week Wednesday. Like you said, they are demanding, amongst other things, uh, 5,000 rent underground allowance, which, according to understanding, the OSA have not been getting this underground allowance. One, because the management said they feel their mind, their mind is safe, so there's no need for them to get this underground allowance. What they have been getting all along is what they call location fee of about 300 uh, a month, which the, the miners, they feel, the mine is not safe. You remember when the last year here there was a, an incident where you know, the miner died due to a rock fall. So that incident is the one that triggered all these things that people at the workers are now are demanding underground allowance because they feel they're not safe. Okay. Thank you very much uh, to our reporter there, Ruzani Ichibase. Consumer inflation disappointed on the upside in February, coming in above market expectations. The consumer price index increased by half a percentage point to 5.9% year-on-year. Economists had expected a rate of 5.6% year-on-year. Statistics South Africa says higher medical aid insurance and transport costs were the key drivers. Dimakazo Rishoro has the details. The newly constituted inflation basket saw consumer inflation go down somewhat in January, but that was generally expected to be short-lived. Sharply higher fuel prices and the greater weighting were expected to force the rate higher. The latest number sees CPI edging dangerously closer to the Reserve Bank's upper target band of 6%. Economist Elise Kruger of CAT Capital says she expects inflation to pierce the range as soon as this month. I do think that it's a negative figure in the sense that it is lifting the... CPI forecast curve into the future and we are likely to see a figure in the order of 6.1% for March. The biggest contributor to the February figure was the increase in insurance costs, in particular medical insurance. Kruger says the new weightings in medical aid insurance contributed about 80% of today's higher than expected figure. The medical side contributed about 80% of the monthly change in, in fact. And the rest, the other 20% was due to the higher fuel price, uh, the 41 temporary increase in the petrol price. So that added basically 20% uh, to the monthly growth rate. Busesiwe Khadebe is an economist at NetBank Capital. With the annual increase, if you look at that, that uh, 5.9%, the drivers there obviously was the household contents and services category that was up. You know, it contributed 1.4 percentage points, and then miscellaneous goods and services added about 1.1 percentage points. This puts the central bank in an even more difficult position in that it has an inflation mandate to look after. At the same time, the bank needs to help stimulate economic growth. However, the sluggish economy will make it difficult for Governor Jill Marcus and her Monetary Policy Committee to entertain increasing or cutting interest rates. Recently, the governor said there was no room to cut rates anymore. Say the MPC will probably talk about core inflation, which may still remain under control, but they say the weak rent is starting to exert meaningful pressure. They agree that interest rates will not be changed this afternoon. Salome Urendal is an economist at Citadel. We don't foresee the Reserve Bank hiking interest rates um, at this stage because the um, activity level in the economy is still quite weak. I think they're going to keep rates 
on hold, even though inflation is just just below that 6% target range, I think they need to actually also keep in mind the weak economy. So it's going to be a very difficult decision to balance this weak economy with rising inflation. But for today, I think they're going to actually keep in, um, interest rates on hold. I think today's figure will just reinforce that view that I think the SOAP do not have any scope left to, to drop interest rates with CPI now moving above 6%. The increase in inflation will put even more pressure on consumers and in turn economic growth may remain sluggish for the foreseeable future. The IMF is expecting growth for the global economy to average 3.5% for 2013. Peter Worthington is with APSA Capital. In aggregate, high inflation erodes consumer purchasing power, so no consumer likes to see his monthly uh, expenses go up for the same amount of goods. For SABC News in Johannesburg, I'm Dima Kassel-Shoro. With that, we go to the dealing room and we say good afternoon to Sudhir Singh of uh, Sarsfin Securities. How are the markets looking today? Sudhir? Well, Bungi, global markets have opened uh, stronger this morning with European stocks gaining for the first time in four days on the back of gains in Asia, despite uh, separate lawmakers rejecting the proposed levy on bank deposits. Over on Wall Street, uh, stocks fell last night on the back of uh, the failed vote in Cyprus, which was the key component uh, of its bailout package. Just taking a look at the U.S. stock futures this morning, it is pointing to a rebound later on this afternoon. Locally, the JSC has been firmer this morning, with industrials and general retailers supporting the market. On the corporate front, Remgo reported interim results uh, last night, in which earnings were impacted negatively by the refinancing of MediClinic's debt. However, overall, the results did show solid growth in a challenging environment. Taking a look at the local indices, we've got the gold index, which is down 0.4%. Resource 10 index is down 0.4%. The industrial 25 index is up just over half a percent. The financial index is up 0.3%, and overall the market is up around 90 points, or 0.2%, to 40,435. And uh, the stocks on the move today? On the upside, we have Mr. Price, which is up uh, almost 3% at 118 rands and 90 cents. Poshini is up just over 2% at 114 rands. Vodacom is up uh, almost 2% at 112 rands and 30 cents. MTN is up almost 1% at 175 rands and 10 cents. And on the downside, we have Sassel, which is down just over 1% at 408 rands and 90 cents. Netcare is down 0.7% at 20 rands and 60 cents. Big and Pay is down just over half a percent at 42 rands and 70 cents. And lastly, we have Richmond, which is down 0.1% at 74 rands and 80 cents. And uh, your latest market indicators? Currently, we have gold, which is trading at $1,610.80 an ounce. Platinum is at $1,564.50 an ounce. Brent crude is at $107.90 per barrel. And finally, we have the rand, which is trading at 9 rand 30 cents to the dollar, 13 rand 90 cents to the pound, and 11 rand 90 cents to the euro. That's it from me, Bongi. Thank you very much there to Sudhir Singh of uh, Sasfin Securities. Let's uh, go through some of your SMSs. I'm not going to read all of them. It's quite uh, a number of them. Hi, Minister. If I have the potential of being a board member and interested in helping to turn things around at the SABC, what must I do? That's Khabo there, asking the Minister of Communications, Dina Pule there. And another one coming from Mulao in Alex. Bong, it's quite clear that uh, the Minister has failed in her leadership and she she fails to understand her role as Minister. Now she is shifting matters to the board. That's Mulao in uh, Alex there. Why is Africa 
African, uh, why is Africa always dependent on funding from the West? What could be the reason behind this? That's a Desmond in uh, Johannesburg. And uh, just a one tweet here coming from Lindelani Mkize at uh, Gualapi News. That's uh, the Twitter uh, account that uh, he used. If the minister is found to be the cause, would she resign? All right, we'll leave it at that. And uh, with that, uh, we go to Greece now. In fact, uh, Cyprus, uh, the stock exchange and banks still remain closed there. There are fears that they might still not be open tomorrow. Cypriot leaders are currently holding crisis talks to avert a financial meltdown. Murafet Tabani reports. Outraged, Cypriots had emptied cash machines at the weekend after news broke that they would be taxed on their savings to raise 5.8 billion euros in exchange for the bailout. This broke a taboo in Europe's handling of the stubborn debt saga so far. The crisis is unprecedented in the history of the East Mediterranean island of 1.1 million people which suffered war and ethnic split in 1974. A quarter of its population was displaced. While Brussels has emphasized that the tax measure was a once-off for a country that accounts for just 0.2% of Europe's output, fears have grown that savers and other larger European countries might be spurred to withdraw funds. Marco Masilela is a trader at BP Benson. I don't think the banks will be opening tomorrow or even Friday because, I mean, there are no funds to be withdrawn from the banks in Cyprus. We know that the European Central Bank made a commitment immediately after the guys voted against the levy on the banks that they will continue to provide liquidity. But now they'll only be able to provide liquidity only if Cyprus they come with plan B or they come with another proposal. But as things stand now, I don't see anything happening. Finance Minister Michael Saris visited Russia and asked the country for a five-year extension of an existing loan of 2.5 billion euros that matures in 2016, as well as a reduction in the 4.5% interest rate. And hence, maybe the Cyprus Finance Minister is still in Russia trying to work out something with the Russians. Even the Church of Cyprus has offered to help. One of the archbishops said the entire wealth of the church is at the disposal of the country. The Church of Cyprus is a major shareholder in Cyprus' third largest domestic lender, Hellenic Bank. And hence, maybe the Cyprus finance minister is still in Russia trying to work out something with the Russians. Even the Church of Cyprus has offered to help. One of the archbishops said the entire wealth of the church is at the disposal of the country. The Church of Cyprus is a major shareholder in Cyprus' third largest domestic lender, Hellenic Bank. Michel Pingodiabria is economic analyst at NetBank Capital. There is concerns for all um, interest groups, and particularly in non-profit organizations like uh, the church, um, they do have funds in bank accounts. And the problem with this overall bank levy proposal is it doesn't discriminate between money. Um, and therefore, a lot of people in the market are saying that you should have a higher levy on funds above 100,000 euros. Um, but the problem there is also that a lot of pensioners would be would have accumulated possibly above that 100,000 euro limit and therefore would still be detrimentally affected by this bank levy. 
That report by Murafe Tabane, who has just told us also that uh, the South Africa's Reserve Bank has left the repo rate unchanged at 5%, as expected, saying the inflation outlook had uh, deteriorated, although risks to domestic economic growth were on the downside. So this means that your interest rate will remain the same. With that, it's time for Create with Michelle Constant.